0: Madeline and I'm a writer and cultural critic.
1: I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and proud SAG-AFTRA actor. Unfortunately, still have to say that. Uh, uh, you know, as as long as when we're recording, I, I hope by the time this is released, the strike will be over. But it's still going on. But welcome to Genre Reveal Party, where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding them. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss with spoilers because you don't need to have watched The Thing to enjoy the podcast. And this is the first episode of season two entitled, We Don't Need Another Hero. We Heck don't yeah. know the way home. <laughs> no. I guess every every season's going to oh start boy. with me singing. <laughs> I guess so.
0: Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, we actually decided on the title of this the day that Tina Turner died. We'd been kind of like kicking around some themes for the second season, but um We Don't Need Another Hero is such a great way of capturing um the vibe of this season. We're going to be talking about what is and isn't a hero, cultural representations of villains, and kind of like, you know troubling these archetypes, just as we also are troubling genre in film and TV. Um, And I suggested this film. I love this film. Hadn't seen it actually in like 10 years, though, to be honest. wow, I had
1: never seen um, it. I'd I'd seen every other Mad Max but this one. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: That's actually kind of weird to me because like I felt like growing up, this was like this was the one that was on TV and stuff like that, you know? And
1: not in Christian there was household. this like lore,
0: I guess. <laughs> I guess you're right. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. And there was like the lore of Fury Road, too. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess he came up George Miller came up with the idea for Fury Road, uh, two years after this came out in 1985. Wow. So he was carrying that project with him for that many years. It took yeah, so I'm. I'll go over the. I'll go over the kind of chronology of that. Yeah, yeah I yeah, wanted yeah. to. I wanted to kind of start with some stuff about the franchise. Um, I do want to talk about this as a franchise in our in our chat too. Um, but it's actually pretty easy to sum up the yeah. Mad Max trilogy, yeah, yeah. or excuse me, it's not trilogy anymore. There's going to be five films, I think. Um, ultimately. Um. They're basically just car chases, right? Um, or <laughs> or incredible lead ups to car chases. Mm-hmm. I mean, each of them has that narrative simplicity, which I really like. Um, and they're like sparse in dialogue and things like that. And they're much more about like constructing this world, right, in which Certainly. all of this is happening. Um, so the first Mad Max came out in nineteen seventy nine, um, followed up by the sequel in 1981 that was Mad Max 2, but renamed Road Warrior in the U.S. um, for the U.S. theatrical release. Um, First of these films is essentially like a cop movie. I rewatched it the other day and um, was kind of shocked at how I didn't notice that as much (laughs) when Mm. I saw it earlier. But he's so Max... As we meet him, he's one of the last remaining law enforcement officers in this, like, near future Australia where social order is, like, beginning to break down. Um, And there's, like, a lot of the chase happens on this road called, like, Anarchy Road that, like, leads into a city. But there there is a city. There is law enforcement. There's, like, some, you know some elements that seem recognizable to us.
1: Um, It's not quite post-apocalyptic. It's like is a little pre-apocalyptic, right?
0: It's a little bit, yeah. I mean, that might be the line we we make between like the first and second. Like Mm -hmm. the second clearly happens after some kind of like global war and ecocide and stuff like that, right? Um, And there's like already resource wars going on in the second one so the first one he's basically a cop one of the last remaining ones um and then there's like a string of car chase sequences that ends like this motorbike gang um wants to kill him they kill his kid sprag and basically kill his wife his, his wife is left in like a coma in the end and is expected to die but then he goes off and Um, the second one road warrior picks up with max. Um, it's a much more, yeah. Dystopian Australia, as we're saying, there's oil shortages. Um, and at this point he's like a loner, except he has this really, really cute dog. And I am a cattle. I have, I have two Australian cattle dogs. This Mm. dog in this movie is so adorable, beautiful blue healer mix. Um, and the dog is killed by the motorbike gang. Luckily, they don't show that, but you hear it, and it's Oof. like, I don't like that. I don't like. Yeah. There's a dog killed in the first one too. They yeah, we, I was
1: worried about the monkey in this one, but instead, just I know he has a full monkey. hero monkey.
0: But I guess dogs can't live in these worlds, just monkeys. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, so anyways, there's another motorbike gang. Blah 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 blah. Okay. The first one. This is one of the things I was really interested in. This one cost three hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars. Okay, and clearly most of that went to like the actual cars and vehicles and things like that. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, so there's stories that um, crew members were actually paid in cases of beer, and they also actually employed this real biker gang, the Vigilantes, to do a bunch oh. of. Whoa. Stuff for free. Okay. Um, but it made $100 million. Yeah. it's
1: so, it, so insane.
0: Yeah. This was the Guinness uh, World Record holder of the most profitable film for 20 years. Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think?
1: Okay, almost 20 years. What broke so, that record? So we're going from 79 to mm-hmm. 99 basically or maybe just before. Ish. okay yeah 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 okay so, so profitable is the percentage... cheapest
0: movie right like, so it doesn't make... have
1: to make more than 100 mil it just has to make exactly. it could be like a five dollar movie that makes right okay cool cool, cool. yeah i'm gonna what guess blair witch project
0: that you are a bastard yes it was that
1: There's... it was that really I oh, didn't. Yeah. I didn't look it up. I swear. You're a I was cheater. like, I. I didn't cheat. No, I didn't cheat. Tr- <laughs> I want to get credit. I want to get credit.
0: I'm just joking. I should never host a game show though because I'm just get mad. <laughs> just- You're a
1: bastard. <laughs> a game show host who's like really <laughs> upset about giving away any money to the contestants. Well, I didn't
0: offer you any money. Just pride. So, sure. Whatever. Well, okay. No, so even great. money. You did a yeah. great job, Dave. Thank you. you-, thank you, thank you you figured it out <laughs> and i'm proud of you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Um so Road Warrior and Thunderdome had much bigger budgets and mm-hmm. may, made less money. Um and i think this is part of why it took so long for Fury Road right. uh, to be funded. But it did eventually make the most of all of them, which is maybe 350, maybe 415 million and then there's a prequel that's going to come out in May 2024.
1: Oh really? It has like so Maybe a we need
0: to do a Yep, May 24th, 2024. I just looked it up. Um and I think we should do a follow-up and we should watch sure. Furiosa. That,
1: that sounds you know? great. Yeah, totally.
0: But I'm pretty curious about that. Um All right, so I'm going to briefly that's kind of whatever. We can get back into the franchise, but I wanted right, to right. to give some details. I'm going to give a little plot summary. There doesn't, we don't really need to go that far into it, though. Um, but Thunderdome, like as it as it opens, we follow Max into a trading post in the desert um, called Barter Town, and the town ruler, Auntie Entity, can you say that three times?
1: Auntie Entity, Auntie Entity, Auntie
0: Entity. It's pretty good, yeah. Um, oh, I thought you were by... going to not
1: give me credit for that one, too. I thought that you was You another... bastard!
0: <laughs> you bastard! Okay. Um, played by Tina Turner. Uh, so, Auntie offers him, like, whatever. He gets robbed. She offers him resources, but only if he can kill Master Blaster, mm-hmm. right? Who is, like, a two-part human or something like this. Yes. Uh, A dwarf mastermind um, who kind of like rides on like a backpack, you know, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and then his giant bodyguard um, blaster and they're, you know, posing political threat to Auntie Entity. She wants them out. Are him out master blaster needs to be killed so the law of the town is that all fights must be resolved in the thunderdome and her plan is to get max to get blaster in the thunderdome um this happens we'll talk more about the thunderdome but just when max is actually about to kill blaster blaster is unmasked he has this big like gimp mask it's and it's taken off, and we discover that he's intellectually disabled. Right. And so Max refuses to do this. We also have to get into that scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. But he, like, refu- this is, like, this. he seems to be, like, without morals, but then suddenly he has this code, and he, he can't do, he can't follow through. So he is exiled by Auntie Entity, and then a group of ch- children find him. And... They decide that he's this guy called Captain Walker. Okay, mm-hmm. a, it's, uh, you know, what's-her-face finds him. But, you know, a group of children decide that th- he's this legendary captain who is c- who's who's going to come back to fix their airplane that they all crashed in in the desert. And he's going to take them to this place called Tomorrow Marland. Um, eventually, blah, 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 we need to talk more about that. But he had you know, he and some of the kids... They go back to Barterland, They or they kind of end up back at Barterland. Some chase stuff happens. And um, I think that's where I'm going to end it. I think we need to, I think we just need to get into it.
1: Now. Okay, awesome. Let's chat. Okay.
0: Yeah, what did you think about this film? First time you saw it?
1: I loved it, man. I was I was very stoked. I, I had a feeling I would like it. I mean, I've liked all the other Mad Maxes to various degrees. And it was just... I mean, the thing that this podcast is giving me a taste for is mm-hmm. um just, like, glorious messes. Like, I think this movie is, like... There's plenty of things where I'm like, I don't know if that quite, like, lines up or if I buy that motivation for that. But I'm like, there's so many fun ideas. There's so many... It's like a... You know what? What did you refer to cruising as, like a rich text? Like I love these these (laughs) rich texts, you know. And so, like, uh, yeah, I just I I had a blast with it.
0: Good, I'm glad.
1: What was your? I was a little bit nervous rewatching it now.
0: Well, I guess I'll just start with the Mel Gibson of it all, right? Like, I do think that that's why I hadn't watched these earlier ones in a while. Yeah. Yeah, and part of why you know my love for the franchise was so rekindled by fury road but i could just kind of stick with fury road for a while and Mm -hmm. i didn't have to go back to these um i don't know i was like actually very surprised by the fact that i just could whatever i could i could uh step out of my discomfort at Mel Gibson. We really politically
1: Um, here believe in separating the art from the artist kind of across the board. That's the important Uh,
0: thing. We love that. No, I had the same
1: experience. I was like, it feels like, I also watched a little bit of a behind the scenes, uh, like little featurette about Mm -hmm. it. And their interviews with Mel Gibson and he's talking about like coming up in like the Adelaide theater scene. And I'm like, this feels like, a child. It, it it feels like a different person. I, he seems so yeah. sweet and likable, and I'm like, was this guy a, like a monster back then, or did he become? I kind of am like, man, you know, when you see like horrible people, and you're like, how did this happen? Like, you were a kid at one point, you know. That's like how I felt yeah. seeing yeah, young Mel Gibson a little bit.
0: I was feeling that too i mean i i didn't I didn't watch any behind the scenes footage. Yeah. I was trying to really contain my encounter with him mm-hmm. in these mm-hmm. movies, but um I what yeah to prepare I watched all three um and consistently just felt fine about it um does that mean I'm gonna see? One of these like more recent movies, no, right. because now I do think there is kind of a sense that weapons. he's a different guy, you yeah. know. No, yeah. yeah, the lethal weapons. I mean, I don't know what I don't know that much about him and when he quote unquote like turned or something like that, or maybe there isn't some story like that, yeah. maybe, you know, who knows. But, yeah. um, yeah, I was able to kind of, and I think a lot of it is, um, It is a result of how George Miller directs actors, right um they okay. it's not quite like a hitchcocky thing where it's like oh they're puppets for him mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that, but um yeah, the character of Max especially i mean he's um he's so blank and um you're not being asked to like him in this way. It's not no, this kind of like no. Tom Cruise charisma that just like turns creepy once you mm. know something about it. He's not, he's not really asking him to be looked at or like, um, yeah, I just found him, I found him kind of um, aloof and uh, maybe that's just, an effective strategy um, for Gibson in general.
1: Well, in but. terms of like an antihero, I feel like the antihero is always like kind of thrown around about someone who's a little like surly or mm-hmm. unlikable in some way, but maybe Max is the kind of antihero who's a little bit more of just like rather than a gruff or slightly negative hero, he's just kind of a void of a hero. Like he's not like full of heroism. He's just, but he's also not full of villainy. He's just like a cipher for our experience and what you want to project into him.
0: I like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that, I don't know. I've been, I've been kind of thinking about looking back at some, some Tom Cruise stuff and we're playing around with maybe watching one of his films, but I think it's, My sense is that watching a Tom Cruise movie now just feels yucky, you know?
1: (laughs) We have have very different takes on this. (laughs) But I know how you feel about it and I like I see where you're coming from. And I don't think he is a good guy at all. But I and I don't love love Tom Cruise, but I love the fucking Mission Impossibles, man. Those movies are so fun. But I I I have no defense for Tom Cruise as a Human being, uh, yeah, I, I don't have any defense for it.
0: Well, I think that there was a certain point with him, and and with any of these like leading men, right, where, um, you're having to like they're having to react to their own celebrity status, right, yes, in every role yes. that they take on, mm-hmm. right, and so I think that's part of what we're we're talking about with Gibson. It's like, and there's, it's like, oh, there was. Australian Mel, Meg- Mel Gibson mm-hmm, you know and mm-hmm. he was like a different dude or right. something like that there's right. this distancing that I think we can we can do with this with this role especially um and I I don't know if it would hold up if I watched any of his other like earlier pictures but um pictures but yeah. um I think the, the the max character especially it's it works just fine um but I, yeah, I was interested in what you were thinking about that. I was also interested in um, the Fast and the Furious.
1: Yeah, just as as car movies. Yeah, I was like, these are very similar franchises
0: in some ways. Like, if you were to describe what the plot is, and they couldn't be more different.
1: Right, it's. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, they're kind of like very perfectly aligned to the seasons we're discussing them in. Fast and Furious (laughs) is Mad Max if he had a family, and Mad Max is Fast and Furious if it were about a lone hero in some ways. Mm. I I can't explain it. I like both franchises quite a bit, and I could not give less of a shit about cars, man. Like, I I just don't. Me too. I don't know what it is, but, but there is some... Maybe it's just like movement captured on celluloid is very compelling and cars provide a good literal vehicle for movement. And so maybe maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe they explode pretty. I, I don't know what it is exactly.
0: Well, I just like the simplicity um, mm-hmm, so much. Mm-hmm. There's something very bold about how... Um. Yeah, how elemental these plots are, right? It's like the Mad Max point ones, A to point B, yes B to point A, A to point C, or something like this. It's literally right? like, like directions.
1: It it's like it. it it's yeah. like you're asking someone how to get to the watering hole, and they're like, "Take a right at the dune that eats you, and then you'll be y It really is like. It, to me, it drives home. I'm like, man, all I'm thinking about is how boring almost all of life is in these mm-hmm. worlds, except for, oh, we have to take a vehicle trip to from one place to another. I'm like, but what do you do the rest of the time? It's like if, if this if going if just going to a place <laughs> is exciting, whether anything happens there or not, it's like, mm-hmm. God, just life is, is just, that's like one of the biggest parts of this to me.
0: Well, what I like about it, and I think this is the, okay, I'm not even going to say, oh, this is the primary difference between Fast and Furious and Mad Max. <laughs> sure, I wouldn't sure. pretend to make such a statement, but one of the bigger <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: ones is just, you know, that this is a world of scarcity, right? And it's about mm. resources mm-hmm. and those things don't matter in Fast and Furious, like, at all, right? Um, There's never... And this is one of the things I hate about uh, more contemporary, like, action-adventure movies, although, like, it's also an issue in in Star Wars or something like this. Like, when do the characters eat? Like, how Mm. do they bathe? How do they hydrate themselves? Like, um you know these basic human needs those are that's actually the stuff of you know most yeah. human drama and adventure and conflict and things like that and so i i think that that's a really wonderful um consistency through the mad max movies right so you're like always wondering like how are they going to find shelter how are they going to how are they going to mm-hmm. survive right um i don't know i, also I think like that, that's like that
1: the 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 i mean each one has a. They're they're almost represented by their fuel source. So like one mm-hmm. and two is like gasoline, right? The, this one is like methane, pig shit, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Fury Road is water, and it's like that. Mm-hmm. There's something very appealing about that to me, where it's like it, it, driven by these resources, these fuel sources, and blood, you could have a whole, right? Blood? It's like sure. water,
0: blood, and milk are in Fury Road. Right?
1: That, yeah, milk, milk, milk. What? What else could we do? We could do, we could do this uh, sour patch kids oh, ghost God. energy drink that I'm drinking. That could be. That could be one of them. Uh, coffee. Yeah,
0: is that our sponsor today? Do we need to <laughs> take <sponsors>. a break?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need to take a break. Uh, thank you, GoPuff, for forcing me to include this promotional. Sour Patch Kids energy drink that I would never drink except on the Beyond Thunderdome podcast because it seems like something you would crush before getting strapped into the rubber bands in the Thunderdome. <laughs> um, Which rules, by the way, is is now a good time yes. to talk about? Let's talk the about actual the Thunderdome. Dome. Yes, yes.
0: Now that we've we've talked about Mel Goodson <laughs> and for some reason Tom Cruise, sorry, and Fast and Furious. <laughs> 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 yeah, what do you think about Thunderdome?
1: It fucking ruled, dude. Well, I mean, I had to remember that the movie was called Beyond Thunderdome because I saw mm-hmm. reviews that really accurately pointed out like what a long first act the movie has. And it mm-hmm. moves, like it doesn't feel long. You just are like, "Oh, could this be the whole movie?" I was getting kind of excited. I was like, "Is the whole movie going to be in this fucking dome?" Like I was kind of stoked yeah. about that. But then reading the Roger Ebert review, he loved this movie and him talking Mm -hmm. about like it being a new way to watch action and fights Mm -hmm. in movies. He's I think his, his initial review was like, since like the karate pictures, we haven't had a, a new way. Just the fact that people are climbing up this dome shell to get to look at it from outside, that that they're dangling weapons from it was super fun. Yeah, and the bouncing of the chainsaw, these, the chainsaw, amazing,
0: bouncing with a chainsaw, bouncing with a chainsaw, amazing.
1: It really it adds an extra dimension. Whether it's like a four, I think it's like a you know, it feels like the four D chess version of movie mm. fights, and that was very was very exciting. I'm kind of surprised that uh that more things haven't like or or was there a big wave of dome-based fighting movies?
0: I don't know, but it does feel kind of of that moment of like the 80s with like, you know, American Gladiator or whatever. Yes. You know what I'm talking about?
1: That It felt to me like um like a wrestling match, like a like yeah. a wwe style wrestling match um totally. like that level of spectacle even some of mm-hmm. the like you know the way a wrestler like quote like cuts a promo like has their little spiel before or during right i loved the announcer
0: yeah there's the mc yeah exactly so the good. announcer guys. Yeah, fe-
1: that felt like Shakespeare or something. I was like, these guys doing these like very theatrical well, Yeah.
0: That's why I said the MC. I mean it actually like really reminded me of Joel Gray and Cabaret.
1: <laughs> Man, I still need to see Cabaret. But yeah, total I'm sure. Total. Okay.
0: You haven't seen Cabaret.
1: Sorry, dog. You didn't assign it. You didn't Let's you, take you a break. Assign it. Okay.
0: <laughs> Let's see you in two hours. And we're um, back. Uh. (laughs) Okay, so Dave saw cabaret, and now he agrees with me. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I actually agree with Madeline on everything. (laughs)
0: Citational in some way. Yes. Um. Yeah. No, I think I found that very compelling. And what? What a film that! It it then it's just like okay, we're going to go on in Act Two. We're going to go on to like a completely different, you know, enclave of this, um, you know, apocalyptic landscape and no, we don't need to go back to the Thunderdome. You know, we don't need to have another amazing Thunderdome sequence. I mean, most films would just like build up to that as the kind of apex. Don't you think? I mean, it, it, it's just rich with all of these amazing choreographical sequences and doesn't need the Thunderdome as <laughs> a mm, center, centerpiece of it, right? Yeah, Which it is, totally... Which is, I think you're right.
1: I think it, it absolutely... Like, that's totally a third act set mm-hmm. piece that they, like... And, and, and to be honest, nothing gets more spectacular than that. It's not like they're like... And they, yeah. they take it in their first act, and then they outdo it in the third. It's like, no, they kind of just invert the the mm. order in which things would happen. It it ends on a very like calm note, you know.
0: But I don't know. That last chase sequence.
1: No 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 was... not the last chase sequence. The literal okay, ending okay. of what's yeah, yeah, her yeah, name? Yeah. Savannah retelling the tale the around the yeah. little like city campfire. That's what I mean.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. In Sydney. Where uh but that that final chase sequence is remarkable, also. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so scrappy. Um, the budget for this was $10 million, but who knows how much of that went to Tina Turner.
1: <laughs> right? like, she's awesome whatever. in the behind the scenes. She's amazing. Featurette. In the behind the scenes feature, <laughs> really? she's talking about acting and she's like, she's just like talking about how you know as a singer she wasn't sure she thought it might be kind of similar like you know she affects a character a little bit when she's singing and so this would kind of just be about singing line saying lines in the tina turner character and she was like mm-hmm. but i'm finding it's like it's very different and then she just kind of matter-of-factly she goes and i really think auntie entity couldn't have been played by anyone but tina turner and i don't say that <laughs> i don't say that arrogantly i just really think you know, I'm I'm feminine. I'm 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 a, I'm a mm-hmm. woman, but I'm a mm-hmm. very strong woman. And then she just kind of like smiles wide and laughs. And it's like and and it weirdly it didn't feel like her referring to herself in third person. It almost felt like her referring to her stage per, her persona yeah. like and and Totally. Yeah, I and and I had seen like, you know, clips and and the movie poster and stuff and was like, she looks very severe. But mm-hmm. in the way she embodies the character, I was like, she's fucking hot in this dude. I was like
0: into it. Tina Turner could not not be hot. Sure. I mean, yeah. Tina Turner was one of the hottest women ever for such a long time mm-hmm. too. I mean, and I think her hotness is really important. I was thinking about this. This is okay. The big difference to me zooming out right in the franchise mm-hmm. is like, Fury Road is, like, a feminist movie, okay? I mean, we can poke holes in how it's feminist or whatever, but it is, like, unabashedly feminist. It's trying to be feminist. Like, he had Eve Ensler, like, come and, like, camp out with some of the women and, like, do that, you know, autonomously from him. He just wanted her as, like, an influence. Um,
1: Teach them feminism.
0: I just talk about, like, <laughs> yeah. speculate about what their what 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 kinds of decisions they would be making, how they would be relating to each other. Um, like, it sounded like it was actually like a really interesting, like, kind of thought experiment that they were doing about like how this group of, of women would escape and survive, and what would they be doing, and what would they be thinking, and, and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. So, anyways, I mean, he's definitely like really invested in that in the fourth movie. The first and second movies are like, okay, if there are women in these places, they're raped or topless mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or shitty mom who gets killed, but right. she's a mom and so therefore she's, you know, maternalized in some other ways. But it's like very flat objectifying. And otherwise, there's just, there's, there's no women in these worlds. You know, mm-hmm. it's very mm-hmm. weird. It's a very weird part of, you know, what's um, unspoken about its apocalypticness. You know, is like that there aren't like reproductive figures <laughs> in, this, in right, this world. Right, you know? right, right, totally. And it's not like androgyny. It's like actually hypermasculine in mm-hmm. um, lots of places. So then, out of that, you get fucking auntie entity who's a black woman. There's also like mostly white people, no yeah. Aboriginal right. actors out of any of these movies. And um, even though there are other feminized characters like Savannah, like you, none of them are hot. <laughs> you know, like She is like pure sexuality. I it's a very Savannah's interesting part of hot. her character. Really? I think also, so. Savannah is like underage. You shouldn't say that. <laughs> oh, <oops>. Sorry. <laughs> not <Okay>. now. Na- <laughs> I don't she, know she. She Just has to clarify the, <laughs> the character. The character is underage. The actress was like twenty three or something. Yeah, I mean, so... the, she
1: has the vibe of like a motherly figure. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I said it. not <laughs> cancel, cancel <sighs> me. That's uh, I. That, I. I get. Get ruined for my Savannah is, is well, hot. Well, she's
0: Wendy, take. right? Wendy yeah, the Lost exactly. Boys.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. But I don't know. I find her... I find Auntie Entity's, like, hotness, her sexuality. These are really important um aspects, right? Because she's kind of set up as a femme fatale, right? In the beginning. Like, Max wants to wants to trust her and scheme Mm -hmm. with her and then Mm -hmm. he realizes that like she's fucking him over right Right. and again that could have been the whole arc of the movie right but it isn't and then you're left with this thing like okay well i guess she tried to fuck him over just like everybody else in this world but does that make make her a villain i feel like the movie just as it resists Max being positioned as its hero, it's also not really that interested in casting her as a villain. I I found that very compelling, watching it, because I was kind of worried. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. Is this oh, what I think it is? And I didn't really pick up on that, that, like, Tina Turner is this exceptional being, but like for those very reasons is therefore like pure evil. I don't think it's doing that though. What do you no. think? No,
1: Well, that? she spares his life at the end as well. You know, she
0: fucking respects him. She's like, Oh,
1: she Ain't just we laughs. A yeah.
0: Yeah. Ain't we a pair is what Raggedy she says. Man. And then yeah. she goes back to Bartertown.
1: Yeah. Totally. You know, but no, I, so that was, and I was actually like, kind of, I had to think about that. I'm like, why does she not kill him cuz like if they if you're going to go that all out in a chase it really mm-hmm. is like actually actually now i'm kind of rethinking it and being like why didn't she kill him like if she was just going to well, go you're back you're supposed
0: to think back on the thunderdome right when he spared but why uh, even chase Blaster's after life? him you know because well, that's because they thought that they that they had the um, the oil, right? But then they found out the oil tanker was full of sand, and so they were like,
1: "Oh what no!" They were chasing. No, I mean, was- well, that was in Road Warrior.
0: Oh yeah, duh! <laughs> you sorry. know what it is?
1: Uh, now I'm remembering. I'm mixing up it's... the feral child. Yeah, totally. Thank she you. she wants master. I think that's what it is. She wants master because master is the one who knows how to turn fiction into master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly.
0: In the end, okay. Is. Sorry to sorry to be like that, but in the end of Thunderdome, he spare he sacrifices himself. Right, right. He is yes. finally in this moment. So let's talk about the hero stuff, okay? Yeah, totally, totally. The end, he's like, okay, to save the children and to save Master and to save Pig Killer and let them all go up in this airplane, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to create um, a distraction. I'm going to charge these people. Jump out of the car, right?
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Sacrificial moment, though, one hundred percent. And that's when she decides that they're a pair, right? She sees that he does that. I don't know. I found that very. Um, I liked. I liked the the nonsense of it all in the end. I I liked that it didn't. Oh, quite totally. Yeah. Align with what you thought she was going to do. And that there is just kind of, but the, this insistence that they're a pair, that they're somehow like two of a kind. I, I don't know. I well, I, and she I didn't is quite
1: very much it, a hero. No, totally. But she's very much a hero in terms of her when they're up in her little sky, not quite castle, but you know, hut mm-hmm. or whatever. The beautiful little lair, a uh, sky mm-hmm. lair. She is like talking about how she would, you know what were you before the apocalypse mm-hmm. basically oh i was a cop mm-hmm. uh and then she was like i was nobody i just was alive the next day and and like you know if she created barter town from that um it, she's a total hero in in a lot of ways you know obviously she then becomes a despot of sorts but it's like it, there's You know, she obviously put a lot of like, she's, when everyone's trying to flee Barter Town, she's like, yo, 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 stop. Like, we need, we can rebuild this place. Like, this, this is all we've got. You know, she's invest, she's creating something. And that is, she's a job creator. Yeah, exactly. She's a, yeah, she's she's a a tyrant though. She's, she's tyrannical. But how did she get to be a tyrant? She actually, she did like make something, you know? She made a tyranny, <laughs> she, but, but it didn't start. She, you know, you think she started? She was like, "Oh, I'm the only one who survived. Great, I'm going to become the lord of this land." She was just trying to survive for a while.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what her backstory is. I think it, it seems very inconsistent. I think, um, she is power. That's that's what she is, and I think the the thing to distinguish in terms of like when she spares him is that she's not in bartertown and bartertown is her power right like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so long as she's at the center of bartertown she has this power and so she acts in a way that's differently because they're in the desert and there's you know the law of the land doesn't apply these type of things like it's not the thunderdome you know so she's right. not going to kill him right right
1: right right, um, right
0: or thunderdome i keep saying that. i want to say the thunderdome cuz i always heard that in a song we all need another hero we just need to find a way home all we want is like are we on
1: what all we uh, want is life beyond we don't thunderdome <sighs>
0: All the children say we don't need another hero. We don't need to know the way home. All we want is life beyond Thunderdome. I always heard the Thunderdome.
1: Yeah, it it make beyond the Thunderdome. It it, it, it yeah. instead she says Thunderdome. Totally, there's like a yeah. a space for it's it con- there. It's confusing. Anyways. I don't think anyone would be upset. People would know what you were referring to if you said the Thunderdome <laughs> in Bartertown. I don't know if Some there's more might- than one Thunderdome.
0: People might get upset. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows, man? But I I think that that's an interesting uh, arc that she goes through. And uh, I like the last line. Let's talk about him, though. Talk about tyranny for him. So when he goes to – when the children have have found him and they start insisting that he's this captain, right? Right. Um. They want, A few of them want to go, you know, out into the desert, and he's like, no, you can't do this. He gets a gun and starts, like, threatening them, right? Right, right. So, they want him to be a hero, he resists that, but instead he becomes this, like, adult supremacist tyrant mm-hmm. figure, right, who then reluctantly has to go back out and save those children who were so
1: foolish they should have listened to him totally right? although he so this is one thing i struggled with because if i have a choice between the little you know lost boy oasis versus barter town he is right that they should just all stay there it's just the I know, way but there's he goes ways about to convince it. yes yeah exactly
0: exactly, exactly and And there's a really important contrast between savannah she's basically is the leader right right who he's usurping incidentally, yeah. and she's the leader because she tells stories right mm-hmm. She has this power mm-hmm. of narrative or doing the tell telling the tell right he doesn't tell the tell he has a gun right <laughs> like that's he the tell he does. he
1: he do the do he
0: guns the gun, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't tell them anything. He just insists that they trust him, that he knows better, right? Right. And he doesn't even know where he is to start.
1: He wakes up, he's like, where am I? And then, you know, two hours later, he's like, I'm the boss. Uh, Here's my gun.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean... Oh yeah, two hours later in their, in their time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I found that interesting. And then, and then it's like in each act, he's kind of facing this question of, of what kind of character he is, right? And he's confronted with, you know, this pressure to be heroic in some way. But Mm -hmm. he also is kind of aware that there is no way to be Heroic in this world. Like, there's, that's actually not a possibility. Right. Um,
1: Well, and I think, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think he doesn't, he's not trying to. I mean, the thing that makes him such a sort of classic anti hero in terms of reluctance is that literally the movie starts with him having his camel car stolen, and all he Mm -hmm. wants is his stuff back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the whole thing. He's just like, just give me what's mine. Y- you know, he's selfish. The, any mm-hmm. any help he provides to other people is a byproduct of his self-interest. Yes. Um, so, so that's what creates that. But I also was noticing, I'm like, definitely he does some good things. Definitely the movie doesn't happen without him. But quite a bit of it is set in motion. Like, ultimately, Auntie Entity does kill, is the one who kills Blaster. The kids Mm -hmm. are the ones who make it to Sydney. Uh, Mm -hmm. He he almost dies multiple times. And he's saved at one point by his little helper monkey with the canteen. He's Mm -hmm. not like the picture of strength, you know?
0: No, not at all. I mean, he's given up, right? Yeah, and yeah. He... There's so, that's an interesting thing that kind of happens in the first film, where you're like, what is it? It seems like you have a moral code of some sort, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And he has this kid and wife, and it's like, you know, uh, framed as a kind of family values, you know uh narrative in some ways, you know, but then sure. but then in the second film, he's just jaded as fuck, yeah. right? He's mm-hmm. like, that's not that's not a possibility anymore uh, for me or for the world. Like, I've experienced this thing that happened and it c- somehow kind of like projects onto the entire world and the capacity for you know, a good life or something like that. Right. right. So then it is interesting in both road warrior and, um, Thunderdome. There are these children. Mm -hmm. Right. Who he's constant. It's like children and animals are like all around him. And it seems like that's really the counterforce in the film, not auntie entity.
1: The counterforce of what that does, what
0: whatever, like a kind of utopian quality, sure, sure, right? Totally of the films is is you know, I mean that it is definitely a stereotype, right? Of like yeah. the the innocence of children, the innocence of animals, or something like mm-hmm, that. But like mm-hmm. that's where that's embedded, and not between these kind of adult adult characters. They're just both trying to survive, and that means being. A villain most of the time
1: (laughs) yeah well and that's why i questioned the lyrics to the we don't need another Mm. hero song because just the chorus i'm like is it true so like okay all the children say we don't need another hero we don't need to know the way home is that Mm -hmm. true it feels at the very least it did feel like they needed to know the way home they needed someone to be like hey Go that way, or home still exists, or home doesn't exist, but you can make a new home. I-, I don't know. Do you buy it? Do they not need another hero? No,
0: I think that's so funny that you don't, that you were feeling that. The thing I was feeling after watching it this last time was wow, that song does a much better job of explaining the film than the film ever fucking could. <laughs>
1: great 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 tell me how tell me how do you know what i mean like
0: well i think that you're right the kids could have just stayed in their little oasis they found a utopia of some sort right like they found there's water there's resources they've got each other they tell the tell Mm -hmm. they have a good time yeah right but they are preoccupied by this idea that they're going to be rescued as if like the place that they're at is a place they have to leave, right. Mm -hmm. That they need to find their way back to something. So I think, I think it is, I mean, that's where the mistake happens, right. Um, It's, it's based on that belief um, that they need to escape, right. And that they need something that I think there's something very interesting about like finding a, a Way Back Home and also this fantasy which we see in um Fury Road too of the green place, right? right? Right. Which is this place of starting starting anew in some way, right? Um and I think both of these films are really um politically quite incredible for the ways that they um they complicate that fantasy, right, um, of there being such a place, right? Of right. Like we right. call like a false utopia, right? That mm-hmm. um, that's actually distracting you from the revolutionary struggle that you have to to get yourself into, right? Like that's like the most interesting moment in Fury Road when they're like, we have to turn back, use all of our resources to go back, yes, and. That's where we need to do our work. We have to stop like trying to escape that place and go back and we have to take it over, right?
1: But in this movie, I mean, totally and and politically, like, I agree that that's the truth. But then again, in terms of like, I'm interested in like the telling the tell part of it, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. because this false utopia, does it distract them from their real work or does it weirdly? sustain them like it would be better if they all realized that they already had it at this fucking Mm -hmm. watering hole like the watering hole looks fucking awesome dude i'm like this place looks great it's introduced by that little fan lizard making this super silly like (sighs) like Mm -hmm. no, that shit is so funny but it's like it looks awesome but in a way they can't even fully embrace how awesome their present is they have to tell themselves this story, but in a way telling the tell, having that distraction feeds them in some way that allows them to like, stay alive in the oasis. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Well, the problem isn't telling the tell the telling the tell is great, you know, but telling the tell of a place that's not there, right. A no place. Sure. Sure. A place that they can't possibly get to. And, you know, that that fundamentally shapes like how you experience the place you're in, right? Right, Um, right. As insufficient or, or a problem, you know, it's, it's absolutely like lush and, and beautiful, but they can't see that because they're so caught up in this idea that they, that they have everything that they're building towards together collectively is to escape it, you know? Well, but so, then if
1: they if they knew that, if they saw how lush and perfect it was, would mm-hmm. they lose the tell, or would they lose the need for the tell?
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that there's that's why they're telling a tell in the end too, right? It's like but they're changing what they yeah what they yeah what their narrative right. is that's right, and the narrative is it is about survival and finding ways to survive, right, but in the end, it's like they don't have a hero figure. It's like about the group
1: and what they did as a group, right? Yeah, it's about it's actually what actually really remarkable. Happened. Yeah, it's about mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, yeah, that's dope, dude. It, yeah, it's about like well because their original tell at the 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 watering hole is still it appears to be something that happened to them. They were all in this right. airplane, the Sky Raft mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you know, it crashes. I assume Captain Walker Is was the captain of the plane, which by the way, I do like Mm -hmm. the the um, you know, the cap play with words, the walker, yeah, that literally Max is a walker. Oh, well, but also that Mad Max is just the walker of the land all around them, you know what I mean? Um, and Mm -hmm. so, and so, so that is something that really happened to them, but then they start romanticizing the city that they came from or were going to. And yeah, mm-hmm. the 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 tell at the end is much more like, and that's why every night we light these fires so that other lonely travelers can come here and join us. And it is very right. Savannah says like, this isn't the story of one of us. It's the story of all of us. Okay. Yeah. I, I like that because you know what it is, is it really like speaks to the necessity of art in some ways. And as like an artist Mm -hmm. and a, you know, political like person, I, I fear sometimes that like, Oh, if the need is not for distraction or if the need is not for something opposite, you know, to keep us Mm -hmm. busy, then if we did have utopia, Would art become unnecessary because we wouldn't need distracting from our lives? It would just be all life would be art in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that
0: was what I was going to say. If we, (laughs) what if if we lived in a quote unquote perfect world or, um, God, now I'm going to get really geeky because no, please, utopia isn't a place. It's a process. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) But. But if we were living in a world that that worked that way, that was a that was about achieving utopia through an ongoing, ever ever changing process of social transformation, or something like that, like we would still have art, we would still have stories, like, but
1: because there the is no which end
0: weeks... point. No, yeah, and like. Yeah. We do what we want to do, which is tell stories. We love stories. Right, You know, but it's like stories wouldn't be used to, say, spread misinformation Mm -hmm. and, like, make people hate each other and murder each other or things like that. Like, stories would be used to enhance our love and, like, survival uh, uh, with each other, right? It's not that we wouldn't have a need for them, just like we wouldn't have a need for oxygen or food like we'd still need need those things right right? right. but like the ways in which stories are like weaponized i guess that's what i'm saying it's like this romantic fantasy Mm -hmm. of like an ideal world that their world is not is actually harmful right it's doing this harm to them and that's that's what i mean by like a false utopia right it's like this thing that like actually prevents a utopianism In the present, right? Um, for these children.
1: Yeah. Um, so, do you think the, ch- you know, the chorus of the song is it sung mm-hmm. from the, per- n- not to parse it too finely, but like, is it sung from the perspective of the kids at the end of the movie? So they're already there. They're at this new home they've made, and that's why they don't need another hero. Or is it them at the oasis? You, you know, mm. thinking – because I think that's why I was like, well, they do need something to change there. Either they need to be happy with where they're at or they need to keep moving, which is ultimately well, – well, you know, I thought it was interesting also – now I'm going off of a different tangent. But I got some mm-hmm. some LaGuin in the credits mm. when yeah. they literally say, like, the, the ones who stayed, the ones who walked away – you're like, yo, okay, this is fucking... I don't know when she wrote that story, but, um, yeah. Oof. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. Because um, I wish I um knew the exact year.
1: Yeah, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas. Oh, 73. Loss. 73, okay. 1973, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I um, thought that that was... A 70s story, but um, yeah, so I'm just gonna read the lyrics. So yeah. I think, I think, okay, it does come at the end of the film,
1: right? Sure, so I sure. do
0: think that we'd have to get into like the tense of the lyrics and mm-hmm, things like that, but mm-hmm. I think it is meant to um make sense of the tell, right? Like where mm-hmm, the kids mm-hmm. arrive at in the end. So it begins out of the ruins out from the wreckage, can't make the same mistake this time. We are the children, the last generation. Uh, We are the ones they left behind. And I wonder when we are ever going to change living under the fear till nothing else remains. We don't need another hero. We don't need to know the way home. All we want is life beyond Thunderdome. Um, So I think it's like, we can't take it too literally. Like the kids yeah, weren't of course. in the Thunderdome right? And stuff right, like right, that. Right. right? Yeah. But I think it is, I think that that's what they, what they arrive at. Like I said, at the end where I think it's a good contrast with like the first film or the first song in the film. So Tina Turner did two, two songs, mm-hmm, right. One mm-hmm. of the living, which maybe is a better song. I don't know. They're both really good. Um, but that's kind of setting us up to to think about this through Max, right? Whereas we don't need another hero is is helping us understand the the story through through the children's eyes.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And speaking of children, can I want to give a special shout out to fucking Jedediah Junior, that kid, the huh? little like the son of the airplane pilot, dude. That scene. Mm because I think this is going to come, I think I, as I'm, I, I actually almost did have a genre picked out before we started, which is rare for me. But as I'm thinking about it now, I think this is going to factor into what I decided, what what my genre reveal okay. is. But uh, he, when he's like running away from the kids and he's like, going down into that tunnel where his dad lives and he starts just shouting like, we're all dead meat, dad, we're dead meat. We're dead meat, dad. He just keeps saying like, we're all dead meat. It's like (laughs) such a fucking Looney Tunes moment. And I'm like, this is so fucking funny right now, dude. Like that scene, I could watch that little kid who like acts like he's an adult just like running around in this little safari gear going like, Dad, we're all dead meat. And he's like running away and he's like gonna charter the plane without his dad. I'm just like, that shit flattened me, dude. Jedediah Jr. is is my hero from this movie.
0: Um, I'll let you have him. That's fine <laughs> okay, with me. Okay. Um Yeah, so the lyrics for this song though are very interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. It ends with like, okay, because you're one of the living and if we can't stick together, um, who's going to make it tonight? Um, Oh,
1: of the intro song. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's thinking about this like way in which this world has made everyone into quote soul survivors, right? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Every man for himself, every woman, every child, A new breed, ferocious and wild, right? Um, And posing to that vision, like this idea, like if we can't, this question: What if we can't stick together, right? Right. So I think I think the the songs. I mean, how often do you have songs that do that much for a film too? I mean, they're really great, effective soundtrack songs, and they're so good too, and and Um,
1: without seeming like. W- without seeming uh, didactic in a way, you know, or or yeah. overly explanatory, it's not like Max is walking is through Max. the desert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> De- all the methane comes from pig shit. <laughs> yes, it
0: doesn't even explain what Thunderdome is.
1: Yeah. Thunder you know? dome. There's like these rubber band things that <laughs> hang down from the rafters.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. It was funny when I watched. I watched this with Tuli, um, and Tuli had never seen it. Although Tuli had seen Fury Road a whole bunch of times.
1: Oh, cool! But what did they think?
0: They they love the movie, nice. but it was funny because it's like they're because they've just grown up with um, these songs. You know, mm, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I love Tina Turner. Yeah. And so I would, exp- you know, and I'd explain the songs and kind of tell the tell of the movie, yeah. so Hell to speak. Yeah. But Tully was talking about that, like, so weird to finally see that movie when I, would like, heard that song and understood the plot from the song and things like that. And it kind of like reminds you of like a, mu- a Broadway musical or something like that.
1: Oh, I mean, it really yes, does have totally, that narrativizing quality. Yes.
0: And just, yeah, I was just thinking a lot about how rare that is. Um, that song at the end of The Fast and the Furious, the one where Paul Walker, you know, drives, drives into the yes, sunset yes you know? yes yes
1: the god who was it yeah i forget the band but yeah totally
0: um <laughs> i have to look it up It's bit been that it's been a long time
1: oh is it like stained or something yeah it's been a while or something like that oh no no, no. it's been no. a long time Love you, my friend. And I tell you, all yeah, about yeah, <laughs> when yeah, I yeah. See you again. <laughs> right, right. Who, who is that? God. Oh my God! Okay, is so, so, Yeah, it
0: was with Khalifa.
1: <laughs> oh, but not just with Khalifa, right? It was like Wiz Khalifa no, with Khalifa um, with someone.
0: Charlie, Charlie Puff? Charlie Puth. Oh,
1: Charlie Puth. That's okay. yeah, yeah. He's
0: yeah. He's, the, he's the you know yeah. The chorus. Okay. Um that song always strikes me as like heavily heavily narrativizing,
1: you know, <laughs> but but um but emotionally mo- i I see it less as narrativizing and well, I guess narrativizing in the sense of like just true emotional manipulation, just telegraphing yeah. to you like you are feeling
0: distraught
1: this. at this point, yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. And it's like it doesn't say that he's dead. It does, like, all the things that the franchise is doing around that character. Mm It's, like, mm -hmm. he's somehow not dead, but everyone is, like, in a constant state of mourning. Like, this one guy who's, like, just hanging out with his kids somewhere.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: You know? But um, anyways, just just a little tangent about that. One last thing I wanted to talk about... George Miller wise.
1: Oh yes, yes, find yes. him
0: super fascinating. But um, I wanted to just tell you the dude's filmography. Okay, so yes, I don't, yeah, I don't know if yeah, you knew this yeah, about him. Yeah. I've, I've known this for a while. How, how weird it is. Mm-hmm. But our listeners might not know. So he starts out with Mad Max. That's his first film. Mm-hmm. Then we got Road Warrior and Mad Max Three. He's like all in this on Mad Max. Mad Max. Guy. That's all he did. Mm-hmm. Until 1985, so that's six years of just being the Mad Max Wizard. He's probably going to say this way. He
1: just he makes action adventure movies, right?
0: But then the next film he does is The Witches of Eastwick, which I'd never realized Mm -hmm. he did. Witches of Eastwick. Mm -hmm. I really want to rewatch that. Um, But yeah, very. Have you seen it? I've never seen it. No. I actually weirdly like read the novel. When I was really, really young, because like, I think my grandma had it at her house. But um, Jack Nicholson like plays the devil, right? Uh, um,
1: okay. In my mind, it's and like these part of three this... women. Okay.
0: Susan Sarandon, Cher, Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. See, there so was he, like, this genre of, of witch
1: movies, and and this sounds. It sounds like it's heavier than the other ones I have it confused with, which are Hocus Pocus. Practical Magic. The, it, wasn't hmm. there a movie just called like The Witches, where it's like, "Hey, here's oh yeah, the role doll Kathy Najimy and and Sarah Michelle Geller and uh, and uh, Bette Midler." Oh, I don't know. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The Witches of Eastwick is kind of like it's kind of like nine to 5-y a little bit. Okay. It's like, oh, these three like iconic women Girl are going witches, to like yeah. go ag- up against this like. Very evil man. Okay. I Love don't know. That. There's Love something that. kind of that, that's my impression of it, not having seen it for a long time, but it's a definite turn from the Mad Max franchise, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting like he, during the filming of that, had the idea for Mad Max for Fury Road. Yes. And apparently tried to quit The Witches of Eastwick. <laughs> Numerous times, he was like really, really bummed that he had agreed to do it, and Jack Nicholson played like a a strong role in like keeping him with the project. Okay, but the next movie he does is Lorenzo's Oil, which I haven't seen Mm. because it's like code for a movie you cry at. You know, like I don't, I don't do well with stuff like that. You know, or I just don't see a point in seeing a movie like that. Mm -hmm. To be honest. Mm
1: -hmm. It feels yeah, like one but, note or something.
0: Yeah, I just I don't know. I just feel very manipulated. So okay. but that's yeah. about like a kid with ALD, you know? Oh, okay. Um But then the dude goes and he makes Babe. Yeah. He makes yep. Babe. That's yep. his next movie yeah. is Babe. Talk okay. about a hero, dude. He makes babe. Okay, that is a hero narrative. <laughs> yeah. But he makes babe. Then he takes a break to make a documentary about film, and then he does
1: Babe Two, Pig in the City, which I've which is also a great film. I've never seen it. I've heard it's fucking insane, dude. A lot of people make
0: the case that it's you know one of those sequels that's better than the original. Really, I've heard it's just
1: bonkers. Like, would it be a good genre reveal party movie at some point?
0: Maybe. I I love both of the Babe movies. Okay, I am.
1: See, babe, babe, fan. babe. reminds me of the thing you're talking about with Lorenzo's oil, like that. That's if it, it feels like mm. kind of a weepy little story. But Babe, two pick in the city. When I hear people talk about it, I'm like, what is this movie? It sounds unhinged in a very fascinating way. To me. Yeah, yeah.
0: It is. It is. Babe, I definitely see. I, it makes me sound like I don't like crying in movies. I actually love watching a movie that yeah. makes me cry. Yeah, but. Babe is also not that, and it would be a tearjerker movie more so if, like, you know, Babe died. You know, Babe doesn't die. There's right. Babe too. Right. You know? There's like emotional um,
1: trauma porn or something like that. No, the
0: the the the, the thing I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The, thing the Lorenzo's like Oil. Yeah, yeah, like, like I've never seen Sophie's Choice. Okay. Okay? okay. That's like one of these movies where I'm like. I'm probably never going to see it. Like, does
1: Steel Magnolias fit this? uh, Yeah,
0: Steel Magnolias is like that, right? Terms of Endearment? Terms of Endearment.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Yes,
0: exactly. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah.
1: I I want to rewatch Steel Magnolias because Julia Roberts plays a type 1 diabetic in it.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I also can't watch that because I had a traumatic experience playing... Um, one of the characters in that movie
1: play or like in that like in the in the play you in, know, in like play. high school or something
0: in middle school
1: okay yeah. okay
0: it was really bad i played the pregnant character okay. and i had a balloon but the balloon came out from under my skirt um, and
1: people laughed at me. oh no the, yeah see that yeah, is that could be an origin story the other way that if that were me i would be like Oh, i i got i got some laughs. Let's uh, let's fucking laughs. go with this. Yeah, you I know. know. Yeah. So okay, so made two pick in the city. Then then okay.
0: Then yeah. he does Happy Feet, uh-huh. which I haven't seen. He does Happy Feet
1: one and two. I've also heard Happy Feet two is completely bonkers in a weird. Yeah, it, it, I most of this comes from listening what a to weird blank guy. Checks, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so yeah. weird.
0: What a weird guy. And then he gets his sequel, finally. Right. He gets Fury Road in 2015. But he had to wait for 30 years. Yeah. To make that movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wild. Or 28 years to make it. 30 years after Mad Max 3. Very interesting man. And in that time, he remarried and credits his wife for, like, radicalizing him as a feminist. Mm. And... It turns out, I mean, I think it's one of those stories where you're like, well, I'm really glad he stuck to it. He kept fighting to make that Mm -hmm. film because you could see how he would have just been discouraged. He kept starting up the process and then funding reasons, blah, 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 like different things got in the way. Eventually it was that Mel Gibson was just seemed like a complete liability to the project Uh... He didn't want to make another film with Mel Gibson, had a falling out with him uh, respect. But, you know, I think for all of those reasons, Fury Road is actually a better film and a very interesting follow up to Mad Max 3. What did you think about, yeah, the Fury Road connection and... You know, I also love, one of the things I love about that movie is how Mel Gibson is replaced by a younger, hotter guy, and then, (laughs) but it's somehow supposed to be later on in the chronology, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. I didn't mind that. I was just just like, like, who cares? Yeah. Exactly. You're not supposed to care. You're just dropped
0: into these things, and it doesn't care if you have problems with how it works. You just have to go with it. Right. I mean, I I love the attitude that he, there's, there's no attempt to correct that. It's just get with the program. Oh, totally. Well,
1: I, the thing, so a couple thoughts, I saw people like confused about, or trying to make sense of chronology. And I'm like, Mm. it doesn't feel that hard. It just, one comes after the other. They don't seem like weirdly interlocked in some way. Um, Yeah, and then the other thing I thought was interesting was apparently he said to people, uh, like in interviews or something, about Furiosa, um, and and the movie Furiosa. I guess is a prequel to Fury Road. But he said that Furiosa could very easily become a despot the way that a Morton Joe was in Fury Road, Um, and Mm. and I thought that was really interesting. Um, because I totally see it, and 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 uh, Auntie Entity is the proof of that. You know, like she mm-hmm. it had a right. You know, she was trying to rebuild the world when she was the only person left. She was trying to have an outpost. Have a you know. She talks about civilization. She's like building civilization, and Furiosa is like similarly has a righteous cause there. But, but I think hmm. the point is really well made, which is, like, why do all of these movies seem to have a fucking – not a fascist, although probably, like, at least an authoritarian in every mm-hmm. movie? And, in fact, I don't. did you come across the fact that Morton Joe is the same actor who played Toe Cutter in the first mm-hmm. Mad Max? The, he's, like, yeah. he's the main bad guy in the first and third movie is, like – yeah, that's an amazing. So amazing. Um I'm also yeah. seeing that George Miller directed another movie, 3000 Years of Longing after Fury Road. And that yeah, there's something yeah. called Mad Max: The Wasteland at coming up that's currently in production. So I, I don't know, maybe that's like a fi- a sixth Mad Max movie or something. maybe this just goes forever. Maybe this is our lives now. I love it. I think he needs
0: to keep going for it. And I mean, it- it's it's wonderful how whatever landscapy these movies are, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just about this kind of like world making that's happening in each of them, and and it is so concerned with the details of yeah of of reproducing everyday life, right? Like how do we get access to water? How do we have yeah, shelter? Yeah. Right? Like these are the things always mobilizing. The plots, um, however absurd they are with their aesthetic and the chase sequences and the violence, that absurdity is always kind of, like, contrasted with this, like, bare necessities, like, thinking about survival, right? At this, like, most basic human level. I, I really respect that. I feel like it has, these films have a lot of integrity. Um, yeah, yeah. And it does, it does just like really, really perk up my, like my frustration at most films in these genres because of their inattention to those kinds of details. Right. I don't know.
1: Well, it also, Um, I guess guess the Wasteland is going to be a sequel to Fury Road, but I mean, who knows what that, it could be 300 years. This is great though. I love it. But then. I love it. The other connection is between Fast and Furious and Mad Max is fucking Charlize (laughs) Theron, dude i didn't Heck even think yeah. about that she is it, so so i'm excited for the furiosa movie because i think she's just like one of the best she's not gonna be in it i don't think is she oh, no really I'll look it up oh my god but she's furiosa right oh but no, i guess if it's
0: um, a, if it's a that's anya taylor joy uh, oh no okay she is gonna be in it okay, but okay. um yeah gotcha and Chris Hemsworth is a Morton
1: Joe. <laughs> Dude, apparently Chris Hemsworth... I love it! Apparently Chris Hemsworth is in the Wasteland. Amazing. So Okay, so we have Amazing. exciting things to come. But yes, I totally agree that George Miller is a fascinating filmography because it's it's also, what's really fascinating about it is you'll see other directors with that scattered of a filmography, but the mm-hmm. level of like, he's playing with company money like the, the he's yeah. he is these are this is a well-funded all-over-the-place filmography you know what i mean and that's what makes it really interesting mm-hmm. you know
0: well after yeah after after mad max yeah
1: absolutely. yeah exactly
0: and yeah i guess that that's just to to think about like what makes this franchise different now i want to think about star wars okay okay like pretty similar to You know, 1979, 1977. Um, And the kinds of like these questions that we're bringing up about, um, you know, canonicity,
1: right? Okay, okay.
0: Are very interesting in the way that like a Star Wars fan can become completely entrenched in these, you know, these debates about like what is and isn't canon, right? Right. Whereas at a base level... The Mad Max films just refuse that you read them that way, right? And it's like, why are we thinking about these questions of quote unquote canon in Star Wars, but we, I don't think ever see anybody eat anything, you know? was like, I mean, maybe we do. I'm sure we do. Okay. But like people don't have to eat on a regular basis in that world. We're, we're asked
1: to believe that. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. There, I think there's, a, there's a fair amount of eating in, in Star Wars.
0: Eating and, and drinking and pooping and sleeping. Where do people go? To, is there a bathroom on the Millennium Falcon? Dude, I like, love
1: the idea that you want to see the most mundane. That That like your idea of narrative is like, <laughs> is what if we took out all the those big things moments included. and just see... No, I, I totally get I w- the point. I just point. want those
0: things included. Yes, yes, well, yes. I love that about these things, it's like about Mad Max, it's like these characters are doing really intense unbelievable stunts and things like that, but then they're thirsty. But they're not eating that much.
1: Like, I don't, I don't know if I've seen Max. They don't
0: have that much, much, but they don't eat that much because they don't have food. And you're asked to really be thinking about this in terms of scarcity. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really much more compelling in terms of like the kinds of questions that we want to be asking, it is like as a thought experiment, right? To be just thinking about yourself in this post-apocalyptic landscape, right? In this near future. I mean, it really invites you to do that kind of work with your imagination. Whereas I think that I don't know. Now all these Star Wars fans who don't listen to our podcast, (laughs) but like will pretend that they're like, that there's a big...
1: Exist in your mind. ...swarm of them who's
0: going to attack me for like all the times that people eat in those movies. But you get my point, right? Well, I would say that... We're asked to believe that that's not a necessity,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, I would say the thing that like lends itself toward canonical thinking in the Star Wars movies and other similar things is the presence of a lot of proper nouns. And there mm. everything has a name and so there's like e- yeah. equal and maybe even deeper world building in those Star Wars things but Mad Max it feels epic it feels so immersive because it's also so elemental it's like it's like so right. barter town like, it's the name you would come right. up with if there were no name for that town. You'd be like, ah, oh, the barter exactly. place or the Thunderdome town, you know? So it's like, but they, but yeah. every, every like weapon in Thunderdome doesn't have a name. Like, right. you don't see every commander of every pigsty in the underworld. Although I will say the thing that I do, I'm glad we even got to this because I, I thought we weren't even going to cover this, but the fucking, the character names in, Thunderdome are dope like as pig hell. Killer? Pig Killer, yeah. Iron Bar. The fact that Iron Bar his yeah. the guy who plays Iron Bar and the actor's name is Angry Anderson. Dude, <laughs> uh, the, there's you got Blackfinger, you got Dr. Dealgood. Uh, yeah, there mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. good shit in uh the yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the my favorite things about Fury Road. Um, is like what happens to language and you see that a lot in yeah. in this too. Like what's happening the way that language transforms and like doesn't degenerate, but it just transforms. Yeah. Right. Um, under these apocalyptic conditions. And like I love this scene in Fury Road where they encounter a tree and we're gonna like um use the tree to like pull the mm-hmm. pull the truck out of um some sludge, I think it was, but at any rate, um, the Nicholas Holt character, he's like, he doesn't know what a tree is. So he calls it a thingy.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's wonderful. I mean, just, um, there's so, the, the dialogue is so sparse, but it's also sharp. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, every word there's just this like economy of details and language that i I find so striking i, 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 br- I bring that up because I, I take your point about proper nouns and nouns mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um the way that that pig killer is named for it for the thing he does pig kill right you know right. um it's very interesting um so it asks you to kind of take up this world in that kind of yeah, with the, the that kind of thinking, I, yeah, I find I find really compelling. Um, I also this just gets to my overall opinion of Star Wars, but like <laughs> the 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 placing Star Wars in a long time ago, far far away, uh, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, like
0: yeah. preventing you from think- thinking thinking um, analogically about that narrative world, right, in right. terms of the present. Whereas like, it's Mad Max is, like a
1: short time from now, probably yeah. right here.
0: Probably right here. Yeah. It's, it's basically shouting at you, like, this is what will happen to <laughs> yeah. your children, Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> throughout, you know? And so, I don't know, it's just much more, like, charged and, um, and kind of politically substantive, you know, because of that, so...
1: Well, now that we've shat on know. Tom Cruise and Star Wars, let's hit uh, Shakespeare. I'm not here to make any friends. The Bible. Uh, what other big? What other big mass? Uh, no, I. Uh, I don't know. I'm fucking. I'm. I'm chomping at the bit to to reveal the genre. I'm gonna need here. you
0: to. I know, but I'm not, I'm gonna need you to insult one more. Leading actor from the nineties before Oh, um, I was
1: gonna go like the Beatles, you know. Fucking Beatles. Oh, I hate them too. (laughs) Do you
0: really? I hate the and that documentary, everyone's talking about it and it's just everyone's talking about it like two years ago. And Michael Jordan too. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Ugh, fuck that guy.
1: So can we can we reveal a genre?
0: I suppose so. I have to say I had a lot of trouble figuring out the genre of this.
1: I had a lot of fun thinking about it. I've gotten really into um the the, the, uh, to into letterboxed recently, like as as a way as as Twitter. Oh, have you? Yeah, slowly phases out. So, if anyone wants to follow me on letterboxed, it's just Dave Marr, my name smushed together. Um, so here here's my some of these. So I, I here's my review parts of it. I just said that I'll save most of my thoughts for the podcast, but the current genre possibilities at the t- at the time of my review, in the order I thought of them during mm-hmm. watching the movie were wrestling match, carnival game show. Cause of that little wheel that determines what happens mm-hmm. to Max uh, mm. hook as in the movie hook. Um, uh, yeah. Play.
0: We didn't even get into that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Battle race, slash chase campfire story creation myth. Um, and then, and So, well, and then I said, and Jedediah Jr.'s antics bring Looney Tunes into the mix. So that said, my genre reveal is cartoon campfire creation myth.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Campfire car crash creation myth. No, no, no. Not not
1: car crash. Not car crash. Cartoon campfire creation myth. Oh, for some
0: reason I heard car crash and all the C's
1: there. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh no, just three. Just the cartoon. It, I I like the idea of a of an oral cartoon being passed down from generation to generation. An or oral cartoon. Like, these antics, those antics, but it also is a I think it is a hopeful utopia as process creation myth as well. So so that's my That's cool. My my assessment.
0: And you thought Savannah was hot? Huh? You want to talk about that. Yeah, more, yeah, yeah.
1: Or... And and Savannah as um <laughs> uh totally age appropriate, unproblematic sexual goddess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. I am
0: really glad that she and Mel Gibson and that anti-entity and Mel Gibson didn't hook up in
1: this Oh, movie. well Max is a very like asexual character. For all the masculinity of this stuff, I don't know. There's not a lot of like sexuality to him, I don't think.
0: Yeah, after he lost his wife.
1: Oh, right, right, right. I, I yeah. I didn't go back and rewatch the old one, so fair point.
0: He had a child and a wife, and they were beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he could take showers at their home. Mm. And they ate food. <laughs>
1: Are you vamping um, to avoid to avoid saying your your genre? No.
0: I just feel bad. Okay, I was I'll say two things. So I was really struck by the second act, you know, it was definitely like a lost boys. Yeah. Never never land. They play with that with like the myth of tomorrow, Land.
1: Right. Savannah
0: is clearly Wendy. They're looking for a man who can fly, you know, all this stuff. So I was interested in the Peter Pan. Um, I also thought it was really funny because, like, it was also kind of like the Ewoks, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, in a way that kind of made me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, But I couldn't think of anything to
1: play with those things.
0: So I just thought of um, Hero Void.
1: Hero Void. Okay, I like that. I like that. That's good. Yeah, Cool. That's my genre.
0: I've enjoyed talking to you about this film, Dave.
1: (laughs) I have also enjoyed talking to you, my good sir.
0: I recommend it to anybody. I mean, it really is... um, It holds up really well. Uh, And Road Warrior... I don't think you need to watch it. What if really?
1: Gonna, Leave the gasoline.
0: I, the big humongous. I think. I mean, I think that Mad Max and Road Warrior are pretty amazing films. But in terms of like what the. Third and fourth are doing politically with their genre, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the the weird genre they're making. Yeah, <laughs> all of them. It's it's just it's a huge departure, um, and it is it. But it is pretty interesting to watch Max like kind of deteriorate from this, like cop figure
1: you know right right
0: um in the in the first one like uh dukes of hazard or
1: something like that right it's
0: it's very it's very interesting to watch that happen so quickly but the third film is like that's the max that i want to
1: Mm -hmm. you know totally
0: center in my in my thinking about the franchise like he's he's a much more interesting max
1: yeah in being almost like you know nothing (laughs) in being almost nothing yeah totally Mm -hmm. so we'll be exploring this this season as we go through all of mel gibson's filmography that's what we're focusing on i'm Uh, gonna be
0: watching the beaver next
1: (laughs) i forgot about the beaver i was just gonna go straight to passion of the christ but beaver is way funnier of a joke there um no, but I am really stoked, just to be back dude, and to be talking and to be I think this Me is too. a really good kickoff to the season to be sort of a genre fucked movie and a uh, yes. a hero tale very, very stoked for where we go next. so um, for sure, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything is there anything to promote?
0: Um, not really
1: okay yeah yeah (laughs) i mean there's (laughs) things to promote but my biggest thing to promote occurred between season one and two so uh you know you missed my new one man show (laughs) hopefully something else happens but uh with it but yeah uh i guess yeah we'll fucking talk to you next week talk to you next week